Hi everybody, welcome to the Irish NFL Show. It is Super Week on the Irish NFL Show opening night. Can you believe the Super Bowl is this Sunday? And we've got a four-hour pregame this Sunday from 4 p.m. Ireland UK time. Make sure you join us. But it's opening night. Delighted to be joined with Colin, Brian, and Mark. Lads, I'll start with you, Colin. It's an honour to be here this big week ahead of us. What's your initial thoughts going into what promises to be a massive game this Sunday? Excitement. It's all set up to be a really fascinating matchup. You have so many storylines going into this. Um, goat, baby goat, the coaching staff, um, the just the, Travis Kelsey, Devin White. I I am fascinated. We're in for a magical week and a wonderful game. For me, it's a sense of relief that we actually got here because having gone through a summer where we didn't know whether we were going to get a season. In the end, we probably got one of the better seasons that we've seen in quite some time. And while some of our teams are in the final, we'd obviously look for that to be the case. It's still, we've still got a great game ahead of us. I think we all agree that going into the championship games, whatever permutation came out of the four teams, we were, we were going to get a great Super Bowl. So a great game to look forward to. Mark, welcome to Open Night. How did you find the virtual media day this afternoon? Oh, it's awesome, Michael. I mean, I have to say, and uh, it's great to see the exposure and the expansion, if you like, for the virtual media all internationally as well, obviously. And uh, unique year with COVID. They have to do it. And look, we got through 256 games in the season. We got 100 million spent to make sure that the season went ahead and a million tests to ensure the season went ahead. We said it before, it is actually probably Roger Goodell's finest moment to ensure that is. And as you say, Michael, it's opening night, and I'm here wishing in some ways I was a Chiefs or a Bucks fan because I know the excitement, the tension, the passion, the fear, the joy that they're going to go through all this week, and obviously especially on the big night itself. But 30 teams obviously sit watching them from the sidelines at the moment. And spare thought from Mark and the Patriots fans who have to watch Brady and the Super Bowl this Sunday night. But before we talk about some other news as well on opening night, folks, uh, just to remind you, we have dedicated coverage each night this week. We've got, obviously, tonight, Sam Monson's joining us in a minute. We've got Mark Schlereth, three-time Super Bowl champion with Washington and Denver tomorrow night. We've got Otis Anders on the Wednesday. We're not telling you who's coming on from Thursday to Saturday yet, but we have got guests all week long and a huge four-hour pregame on Sunday as well along with two morning shows presented by Sisu Juice on Saturday and Sunday at 9am so you better join us with your coffee or juice on Saturday and Sunday morning but lads it was typical on Saturday night when I went to bed to get my first seven plus hour sleep in months that Matt Stafford had to be traded and Colin Stafford going to the Rams for a incredible amount of draft picks unbelievable what's your thoughts on that move i suppose when i initially saw it it seems like a huge haul but when you stop and and really think about it i can understand why the rams have done what they have they have a generational talent in aaron donald they have ramsey they are in win now they had clearly no trust in Goff. Uh, the stories that are coming out seem to be that they would have sh uh, shopped Goff last season um, and that really the Super Bowl and uh, Bill Belichick ruined Goff and there was no trust in him since then. So 
it is as much about moving on from Goff and getting somebody to take on that horrendous contract as it is about Stafford. Now, Stafford, I think, is a better quarterback than, than Goff. If you put him in place, he's clearly got leadership ability. How high his ceiling is, that's what remains to be seen. But this is about putting them in the best position to win now, to make the most of Aaron Donald's and talent and uh, Jalen Ramsey. And I, I get why they why they did it. It is a roll of the dice. Of course it is. But one worth making, I feel, for the Rams. Uh, Brian, what's your thoughts on this trade? Obviously, Stafford going to the Rams. Huge move. Were you up at 5 a.m. on it, bro? No, I wasn't. I was like yourself, Michael. I got a good night's sleep last night. And uh, yeah, I happened to wait for a lot of text from NFL fans discussing discussing the trade, discussing the, the value of the trade and how, how many picks the Lions got, two number ones and a third round pick and Jared Goff. So, you know, we, we touched on last week whether it was a wise move for the Lions to come out so early in the offseason and publicly declare that Matthew Stafford was up, was up and available for a trade, obviously because they both wanted to move on. But um, in fairness to the new GM, Bradley Holmes, he's, um, I think he's pulled off a masterstroke too. Two number ones, a quarterback that will go in there, and I know he has his faults, and a lot of people say that Goff isn't quality quarterback, but look, he was a number one pick in the draft a number of years ago, and the Lions, by and large, I would expect next year won't have massive expectations. Dan Campbell probably sees it as a quarterback taking Dalton for a number of years, and then obviously now they're going to start stockpile on draft picks. So for the Lions, I think they're coming out of this really well, and for the Rams, it's very much a win-now scenario. Collins alludes to it, the fact that their defence was so good all throughout the season. And obviously they didn't play as well as we expected in the game with Green Bay during the, the playoffs, but they're putting themselves in a position to be serious challenges. But whether they can move up to be a number one or number two seed next year with Stafford in a, in a hmm. division that's competitive with Seattle is another team. And Mark, a couple of elements here. It, is, it has been reported that uh, Stafford said he, he would go to any team apart from the Patriots and and secondly, just going on what uh, on, on what Brian said there, obviously the Lions have got a very good deal, but it really does raise the bar for guys like Deshaun Watson and stuff. I mean, this really is another, I guess, trendsetter in the league, isn't it, going mm. forward? Yes and no. So first of all, in the Patriots piece, we talked about this before, I'm not disappointed personally to miss out on Matt Stafford. I think he racks up a lot of yards in garbage time, and I think he's overrated. I don't think he's a winner. I think it's like when the Eagles traded for Sam Bradford before from the Rams, who had never been over 500 in the season. Frankly, uh, I think he's overrated and he's not going to put the Rams over the edge like the way they like to think. Although he will fit in really nicely with McVeigh's offensive scheme and McVeigh can do interesting things with him more consistently, I would like to think. So I'm not devastated that he didn't want to go to New England, but frankly, after his experience with Matt Patricia, can you blame him? If he thinks New England's going to be similar to that, he would avoid it like the plague. The second thing we've got to keep in mind on this, the Rams are basically paying the Texans to take... Um, sorry, the, the Rams are basically paying here, not the Texans, but I'm thinking of, to, to take golf off their hands to the Lions here. It's very much like the Texans trade of Brock, uh, Brock Osweiler before to the Browns, where they also sent a second-round pick. The contract is so horrific, they need this to clear the books. Now, both teams next year will have an awful amount of dead cap 
money. Uh, the Rams will be about 22 million on golf. The Lions will also be carrying about 19 million, even though they've traded staff in this regard. But what strikes me here is this is the ongoing, this is like the big short financial and pick-wise madness of the Los Angeles Rams continuing to come to bear. They will not have a first-round pick in at least seven years, and God only knows, by the end of next season, there will probably be another few on. They've picked, given up picks to acquire people like Peters, like Fowler, like Cooks, like Watkins, and none of them are with the team anymore. They've had to give away Gurley because of the horrendous contract and structure they put on that. They've now had to give away Goff because not only did he perform, not perform, but the contract structure seemed doomed from the outset. So I think there's a big question mark, really, over how Les Snead has continued to run that particular piece. But look, the guys have said it's buy now and get win now. Jason Licht and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers have proved that sometimes works. Jerry Reese and Mike Tenable, both in New York, have proved sometimes and most of the time that doesn't work. So I know where my bet is at. Time will tell, and I guess it's good to have an expert voice, albeit another Irish voice in tonight. We've got Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus, who is breaking down this move for us as well, and it's great to be joined with Sam Monson tonight. Super Week opening night, delighted to be joined by Sam Monson from Pro Football Focus. Great to have another Irish guy on the show, Sam. Uh, Sam, just, just your thoughts on that incredible trade late on Saturday night, what what, I don't know, what, 2 a.m. our time, boys? But had to happen, Sam, during the night our time, of course. Yeah, it always does. I've uh, experienced that plenty of times, obviously, before I moved over here. Um, the muse always breaks the worst possible time. I get I, a lot of thoughts, I think, coming out of this, but maybe my predominant one when the dust has settled is just how badly the Rams wanted rid of Jared Goff. Like, you know, there's a lot of things that had to happen for this. And you can say they're madly in love with Matthew Stafford. And that may be true. But I think that the biggest driving force behind this is that they just could not live with another season of Jared Goff. And it makes sense in terms of, you know, the, the noises coming out of that building for the last few weeks. Um, even when they were still in the playoffs, you know, they were talking about John Wolf. I think John Wolfer would have started that playoff game if he'd been cleared. Um, and then, you know, as soon as the playoffs were finished, they were they refused to commit in any way, shape or form to Jared Goff going forward. And I think this really just shows how much they, they wanted rid of the guy. Sam, just carrying on from that, do you think this we're going to see this with a few other quarterbacks in that similar position now? You've got Carson Wentz, obviously, has already been in uh, troublesome situations, if you like, in Philadelphia. But even Baker Mayfield, the Browns haven't necessarily committed to. And, um, you know, we've got a season, an off-season of intrigue, shall we say, at the quarterback position. Yeah, there'll be a lot of uh, chopping and changing this offseason. I think the Browns will commit to Baker Mayfield. I think they'll pick up his fifth-year option. I think they'll sign him long-term, given what he did this year. Um, I think he answered a lot of the questions that they would have had going into this season. Um, but obviously, Deshaun Watson is trying to get out of Houston, and anytime the player is trying to get out, that's that's going to help um, in terms of the, the likelihood of it happening. I don't know that the Carson Wentz thing is going to happen. I think... You know, the the brass, the the owner and the GM want him still in Philadelphia. They're the ones that bought into him. The hire that they made as a head coach screams wanting to make that happen. You know, bring in a guy who was connected to Frank Reich, where Wentz had his, his most success, who's also 
you know, certainly from the press conference, didn't seem like the strongest personality in the world that could uh, stand up to the GM or the the uh, owner and, you know, make a move happen. So I think Wentz will, they'll try and, and roll it back with him and try and put him back together. But yeah, it's going to be a wild off season. And, you know, the, the Stafford thing is difficult to parse because nobody knows how much of that value was trying to get rid of Jared Goff and that salary cap dump from his contract and how much of it is this is the value of Matthew Stafford, but it potentially shoots the like the asking price for a, a starting quarterback through the roof, which is obviously relevant to Houston and anybody trying to trade for Deshaun Watson. Brock, Brock Osweiler redux again in the salary dump. Yeah, it's very similar. I mean, the Osweiler contract wasn't quite as bad in terms of most of the damage had already been done. Um, they're on the hook for Jared Goff's deal for you know, a couple of years rather than one. On the other hand, like Jared Goff is a better quarterback and a better prospect in the future than Brock Osweiler. Like that trade with the Browns was literally the idea that nobody wants this guy and therefore just take his contract and we'll take a second round pick. Um, the golf one. Yeah. Like the contract is worse, but golf was a former, you know, number one overall pick. He's had some good play in the NFL. There is the chance that Jared Goff can be a viable starting quarterback in a way that wasn't a chance for Brock Osweiler. So it's definitely, you know, a similar vein and something that, you know, we didn't really see before prior to that Osweiler deal, but I, I think it's a better deal for Detroit, even if the contract is more painful. Um, we talked there, I suppose, about some of the, the quarterbacks who might be on the move, but Peter King, I think in his tweet, mentioned that Carolina and Denver had both really made a play for Stafford. Do you see uh, Teddy Bridgewater and, and Drew Locke being the starting quarterbacks at those franchises come September? Um, I think Teddy Bridgewater could be. Uh, I, I think the Panthers will be looking at all the available options, but I don't think they would be crippled if they have to roll into the season again with Teddy Bridgewater. The Broncos, I think, would desperately like to not be in a position where Drew Locke is starting for them. I think it makes a ton of sense that they were in for Stafford. I think they'll be in for Deshaun Watson if they have a shot at it. I think they'll be in um, for basically any quality veteran quarterback that's on the market. Denver just it can't go into the season again with Drew Locke, given what he showed this season, which is to say not much. Um, and the biggest problem they have is that you know, they surrounded him with all this young talent, Jerry Judy and the first round, KJ Hamler in the second round, Cortland Sutton is coming back. Um, they, Tim Patrick played really well. They've got a ton of these young quality receivers, but Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler led the NFL one and two in drop rate. Like Drew Locke is having a negative impact on their development. So regardless of what he's doing at this point, they need to make a change just so he doesn't drag down the guys that they brought in to try and help him. And finally, Sam, just, I suppose, coming to the Deshaun Watson situation, obviously with the value of the deal in which the Lions have got, does that kind of, I suppose, now put the Texans in a situation where they could be looking at potentially four ones, three ones? Like, surely if, if I know every deal is different, but if the Lions are getting back two ones, surely the value for the Texans now just goes up even more. I The dynamic is really interesting. I think it depends how how much hardball the Texans are willing to play on this? Like how much are they willing to say, we're not trading you. Um, and we're certainly not even picking up the phone for a, an offer that we don't think is, you know, phenomenal. Um, be because Deshaun Watson effectively holds all the leverage. Um, and he has the no trade clause in his contract, which means 
it's different from another trade where you can basically just punt the guy somewhere and he doesn't have a say in it. He has to actually okay the destination team to the point of waiving a no trade deal in his contract. You can't make that happen unless he signs off. And in theory, that means that he can kind of control the price because, you know, let's say he wants to go to the Jets. And if the Jets don't want to offer three, four first round picks, and he can just say, look, I'm only going to the Jets. So whatever they've got on the table, you know, negotiate it up by all means, but that's the team that I want to go to. You don't have the option of bidding against Jacksonville or whoever else might be willing to throw more. Um, so Watson can kind of artificially depress the asking price in a way that's very, very strange. I still think since day one of the Deshaun Watson stuff coming out, like Miami makes the most sense for everybody. They have the most ammunition. They've got a young quarterback in Tua that would be a useful part of a trade. Um, I know that they they don't want to roll into next year necessarily with him as the starter if they can upgrade to to Sean Watson, but neither would you have completely given up on him after the half season we've seen from him. And for Houston in particular, like if you're losing to Sean Watson, getting a player like Tua Bank is not a bad thing as part of a trade package. Um, they've also got you know the, the cap space to make it happen. They, you know, Miami's a good place. It, it's a good destination for uh, Watson. They are literally a playoff caliber team right now. They're in a championship window, I think, if they acquire Watson. So I, that move just makes too much sense to me. I, I, I think they have to be like a strong number one in the driver's seat for any Watson trade and everybody else is trailing in the wake somewhere. Oh, yeah. Sorry, just one quick point. Watson could potentially help the Texans by declaring five or six teams that he would be willing to play for, allowing them to negotiate against every single one of them to get the best deal. Sure, and I think that would be like the best possible scenario for the Texans is if he says, if they say to him, look, give us the list of teams you're prepared to play for and we'll go out and try and create a bidding war from those teams. But if he, if, you know, if he is sort of working this independently and says, look, I want to go here, that's where their their kind of negotiating position just disappears. So, Sam, I, I feel that Nick Casario has the option to channel Kevin Costner in the movie Draft Day and turn around to Miami and say, I want my goddamn picks back, uh, given what they yeah. gave before. But one last nuance on this that I think is fascinating from an external viewpoint. Jalen Ramsey, Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley, and now Jared Goff. There have been a lot of big deals given by the Rams for players that now aren't with them. They're not going to take a first round pick between 2017 and about 2024 um, with Jared Goff being their last first round pick. McVeigh's the golden boy, but does at some stage the pressure start to mount on Les Snead there as general manager? It does if they don't win. I mean, this is, this is a very, very strange um, approach to team building. And with their success recently, you can't yet definitively say it's the wrong one. I mean, it doesn't look like the right one because it's so unconventional. And yeah, for, for like an entire decade, their first round picks are going to be Greg Robinson and Aaron Donald, then Todd Gurley, Jared Goff, and then no more first round picks for, for a decade. And that, I think, is completely unprecedented. Like, I can't think of a team that hasn't picked in the first round for so long, assuming they don't trade back in. Um, but on the other hand, they did acquire uh, Jalen Ramsey with those first round picks. They will have acquired Matthew Stafford, who potentially is a significant upgrade for them. Like, it's not like they spent them on nothing, um, but it's just it's a very weird way of doing it. You don't normally see teams do that. So I think ultimately it's, he's going to be judged on how successful they are. Like if Stafford 
paired with Sean McVay as the first sort of offensive-minded, you know, genius head coach he's ever had. If Stafford suddenly looks like the uh, mythical ceiling Stafford that everybody's been chasing for a decade and the Rams, you know, are, are immediate Super Bowl contenders again and have a chance to, to win one, you, it's hard to say that's the wrong thing to have done. Um, but if the whole thing collapses, if Stafford looks basically the same as he's looked every other year of his career, if they aren't much better because of it, if they're, you know, a, a fringe playoff team again and, and chasing an impact player in the offseason with no first round pick for the next five years, um, like it's that's uh, the point where the entire kind of operation has to come into question. And, you know, they start getting criticism for definitely doing the wrong thing. Sam Monson, you've been extremely generous for your time. And I'll tell you one thing, man. We owe you uh, a copious amount of pints, so definitely on us. But uh, <laughs> thanks a for your time, man. And I hope you enjoy just the whole build-up this week. And, and th- thank you again for your time. No problem, guys. Take it easy. Hi, folks. Welcome to Super Moment Stories of the Big Game, brought to you by Kari Out Off License, your place for big nights in. If you're looking to stock up ahead of Sunday's big night, Carry Out has some great offers at the moment, including uh, Blossom Hill Wine, which is now €7.99 each, an 18-pack of Miller, 330ml, which is €19.99, an 8-pack of Budweiser, 500ml, which is now €13.99, White Claw, 330ml, 4-pack range, is €9.99. And you can check out Carry Out off on Facebook for more. All right, so on today, Superwoman stories of the big games. And I'm going to be joined with the lads here, Colin, Mark, Brian, and Mick. Welcome in, Mick, as well, man. Uh, we're going to look today at the 50th edition of the Super Bowl, Super Bowl 50, uh, where the Broncos defeated the Panthers to win on the 50th edition of the big game. Colin, me and you are biased, obviously, as Broncos fans, but for you starting off, what stood out for you in this game? Defense wins championships, simple as that. Von Miller took over the game and it was just a complete defensive performance. Uh, Cam was absolutely shell-shocked. The the early strip sack uh, to, to get the touchdown just set the, set the tone and what had been a really explosive Panthers offense throughout the, the season and the postseason never ever got going. Uh, it was a truly incredible performance by Miller. He just seemed to to be everywhere. And, you know, that, that stands out to Marcus. Ware was absolutely brilliant. And obviously what, what you know, as Broncos fans, we remember is when uh, lit into the second half, when Cam had the opportunity to go and jump on the ball, he just simply didn't do it. And he he left it on on the field and that i think is a, a moment that will probably haunt him i think throughout the the rest of, of his career but as a broncos fan redemption following uh, two years prior uh, i think there's there's a story told as well about it uh, by um tj ward who who says that before the game um a number of Broncos players were talking to the the Panthers on the field and suddenly uh, a figure emerged uh, from the locker room 
and wandered onto the field and seemed to have a demeanor that wa wasn't all that friendly. And uh, that was one Akib Talib. And Talib came over and basically collared the Broncos players, told them they could do their talking after the game and uh, they could make friends afterwards, that uh, these were two sworn enemies uh, for the next four quarters. And so it proved that uh, Talib definitely uh, tread a, a fine line, uh, some would say. Some would say he overstepped it. Um, but uh, certainly he was a huge part of that defense. He was another tone setter, uh, a great leader. And uh, I don't think any receiver wanted to go anywhere near Akeem Talib, which definitely had an impact, I think, in terms of um, the, the Panthers game plan and, and, and what they wanted to do. So, look, that was... Peyton didn't have to, to be Peyton. I think probably couldn't be Peyton at that point. But the, the Broncos defense, it was up there and deserves to be talked about alongside that 85 Bears defense. Brian, going into that game, nobody really gave the Broncos a chance. A lot of people were looking at Cam Newton to destroy the Cardinals in the championship game. Did you give him a chance going into that game? Um, I did, because leading up to the game, I sensed a bit of cockiness coming from Cam Newton during the week in the, in the press conference. Like He's a confident guy, and obviously he's not fairly well now, but at that stage of his career, he was a very confident guy. He was number one quarterback for a reason. He had a great season. But leading up to the game, I just felt there was something something not right with the Panthers and I was confident that the Broncos defense would do enough we touched on the fact that Peyton Manning wasn't Peyton Manning in the bowl. but no I, I, I was confident I took the Broncos to that Super Bowl and uh, the defense did what we expected to do probably not to the, the level in terms of shutting down the Panthers offense in terms of how many points we got in the game but by and large it was a very dominant performance and a well deserved win Mark as, as Brian said a, a well deserved win for the Broncos yeah, it was. I mean, we've alluded to the fact that Peyton Manning wasn't Peyton Manning. He had noodled on at that stage. I mean, it, the AFC Championship game the week before um, probably shouldn't have been the Pats, I would say, um, but got Jamie Collins on two double moves. And as we know, because Wade Phillips corrected me when I said you hit Tom Brady 21 times in that day game, he said, nope, we hit him 25 times in that game and was very proud about that. So, you know, as a fan going into it, I was like, this defense is 100% for real. I mean, obviously with Vaughn getting the MVP, um, obviously well recognized and appropriately recognized in the end, but they won that game. And yeah, I mean, the standout memory really is the defense doing the business, but Cam Newton making that business decision in the fourth quarter when it all counted. Um, Panthers were still in the game until that, but obviously... Broncos recover the fumble, bring it to about the four-yard line, then punch it in, and it was lights out, night-night, and Peyton goes off into the distance with his second Super Bowl ring. He did, and I wonder, will another quarterback go into the distance with another ring this weekend? I guess we'll see very quickly. Mick, um, really quickly, man, like, obviously the Broncos were blowing up in your team, the Seahawks, a couple of years before, so it was good, all, all biased as I am, to see them actually win one for once after that hell of a night in New York in 2014. Yeah, and I, I can't wait to talk about that, but uh, it was great to see Peyton finish the way he did, and, and the Columns point as well about the defence, they were just everywhere, um, all over the field, all the time, uh, didn't give the, the Panthers offence a chance to get going, and that Panthers offence was great, you know, they, they, I think it was 49, I think they put up on the Cardinals in the championship game, and to see them stumble and fall like they did, 
uh, in the big game was just well, it was a credit to Denver, and, and it was it was uh, shocking, you know, from Cam Newton as we were mentioning there, you know how big of a personality he was to come crashing down like that, and to have that moment linger over him for the rest of his career is just going to be it's going to be heartbreaking for him. Time will tell what will happen with Cam in the England and stuff. But guys, for now, uh, that's the end of our segment for Super Bowl moments with Super Bowl 15. But thanks again to Carrier Offline, it's your place for big nights. And you can check out the Irish NFL show and Pundit Arena all week this week, building up the Super Sunday for your chance to win a Carry Out voucher. Uh, plenty of offers on, as you can see at the bottom of the screen. Check it out, and we'll chat to you soon.